Hello. Welcome to the Fast God Stuff Podcast, where we make biblical theology simple, practical, and fun so that we can love God and others more. I'm Conrad, and my 2001 Toyota Camry finally died this no! week. Aww. And, and I'm Jesse, and I attended boarding school as a child. Ooh. We're just two guys trying to follow Jesus, hanging out in the studio with our Bibles and guitars. We take just 30 minutes Fast. to talk about a theological topic God. and renew our minds with the good things of Christ. Stuff. It's Fast God Stuff. What's on tap today, Conrad? Well, today we're going over annoying things Christians do. <laughs> Two, three, four. Annoying things Christians do. I'm definitely not annoying. Annoying things Christians do. I've never been annoying in my life. No. Well, that was annoying. <laughs> so, Jesse, why are we going over today's topic? Well, all Christians do some things that are pretty annoying, including us. Yep. So today we're venting a little bit and poking fun at ourselves with some of the foolish and annoying things Christians do. So start us off, Conrad. What's one of the things that Christians do that you find annoying? Now, this first thing that I find annoying is kind of terrible because it happens in church. Going big right <laughs> okay, from the beginning. Yeah, but th- this is a personal thing. So, you know, if you don't find this annoying, then great. It's just, I'm a terrible person. So that's Please why I find it annoying. address your hate mail to Conrad Delosa. So one of my top annoying things Christians do is when they make lyrical additions to classic hymns. I hear that. Go ahead. Okay, so like on a personal level, for one thing, I'm a little bit older, you know, than I look and everything. So I kind of grew up <laughs> In a different era, you know, in an okay. era, for one thing, like the church I went to, uh, they were all super old people. Uh, there was no technology. This was before AV, you know, maybe there was a, like an overhead projector. I don't even know if we had air conditioning and we didn't even have a mic or anything. So really, um, that just dictates like, oh, well, you're going to sing out of a hymnal because there is no projector projecting all the things up on the screen. So basically, we just grew up on hymns. So starting from an early age, we just listened to hymns. Or we just sang hymns. The only time that we sang non-hymns were like during children's Sunday school. And then that's when we would sing Father Abraham and little things like that. Oh, Father Abraham is classic. Yeah, that, that's a classic one too that we no one, to should, no one should touch. So really, it's just I grew up on hymns. And so I love hymns. So like, what are some hymns that you love? So I love hymns too. Some of my favorites are Nothing But the Blood or It Is Well With My Soul. I mean, those are classic hymns. That's a good one. So like some of my favorite are um, It Is Well, that that was one of mine. Be Thou My Vision, Amazing Love, How Can It Be, and Holy, Holy, Holy. So like on an emotional level, on a completely personal emotional level, hymns hit me in a different way. And, you know. In the feels. Yeah. Right in the feels. If you don't, hymns don't hit you, then like that, that's, that's fine. Okay. But you're annoying. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) not yet not yet this is where it gets annoying okay so to me hymns are it's they hit me on a theological level but also a lyrical level and an artistic level but here's the thing to me these are classic pieces of art amazing grace was written in 1779 and it was also tied to the second great awakening in the early 1800s and then amazing love the and can it be was written in 1738 Um, Be Thou My Vision was written in the 6th century, and it had to be translated. Uh, And then also, not only that, there was like, some of these hymns have powerful stories behind them. Like, you know, it is well. You know, the guy lost his children in a ship that sank. Four of his kids sank, 
And he wrote that hymn in response to that. So plus his name is Horatio Spafford. Yeah. Which is a super sweet hymn name. Super metal name. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So like, what are the stories behind like our modern songs? You know, like the writers, you know, what they deal with today, you know, in my mind, I could totally be wrong, but in my mind, like what these modern writers are, you know, like their, their difficulties are like, my internet was slow or my battery, (laughs) my, the battery life of my phone was dying and my favorite TV show got canceled or Whole Foods got moved to a different location. My DVI has been erased. (laughs) So that's what's going on in my mind about these modern writers. So really to me, hymns aren't just pieces of classical art. They're also pieces of history. So what I find annoying is when somebody comes along and thinks that they can improve on what I consider to be classic historical art. Uh, in my mind, I'm like, oh, those, so these millennials with their skinny jeans and their hipster man buns come along and try to ruin classic centuries old art. Like, what are these kids going to do? How, how are they going to improve upon these classic right. hymns? So, OK, so, Jesse, pretend that you're my my artistic partner. OK, OK. We have a classic piece of art like the Mona Lisa. Yes. How can we improve it? I'm just trying to figure out if I'm the guy with the man button in this example, but uh, I'm, I, I don't even know. Like, maybe, I would yeah, just maybe think we we're can modernize it. it and like change her hair, maybe because yeah. her hair, you know, it's let's, not that cool. Yeah, let's make it shoulder length. And then uh, maybe like what she's wearing. Sure. You know, and then, you know, it's and modernize it, maybe put like a cell phone tower in the background. Yeah, that sounds like that'd be perfect. <laughs> okay. So that's how we can improve on <laughs> classic pieces of art. And then um, what about Van Gogh's Starry Night? So I'm thinking, oh, Starry Night, that's a classic piece of art. Right. Okay, next to the Church of Your, maybe we can put a Nissan Sentra. Yeah, or maybe like a drone flying up above. And then, yeah, and then under that, like a Chick-fil-A. Yes. <laughs> so so that, that's in my mind what Chick-fil-A people are trying so to do Christian. with these classic hymns. It's like you're just ruining it. To me, that it's, it's almost like a parody, like when people take something and throw Darth Vader in there. It's really just a parody. So kind of right. in my mind, that's what's going on. So the improving on classical art, that's just, that's one level. And that, but the second level is really what's more annoying to me as a musician, as, as an artist. So Jesse, as a songwriter, what do you do? You write a song. Exactly. So like from a personal level, like I wrote a bunch of songs and people liked them. We got signed, recorded them, sold a bunch of albums. And I still do that. I write songs. I put them that on Spotify, whatever. You know what I didn't do? What? I didn't take existing songs <laughs> at a crappy bridge, at a crappy post course, then copyright it, record it, and then sell it. I'm starting to get the sense that you find this annoying. I, and then not only that, it's like in church, I see the names of the people up on the screen because for some reason you have to copyright these things when you took somebody else's song and ruined it. Yep. It's like, there's your name for me to judge you. and Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> like advertising. The part of this song that you find mediocre is the part I wrote. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Make sure you give me credit for that. Here's another way to put it. Okay, so Jesse, what would you consider to be some of the top albums of all time? All right, let me think about that. So in terms of like influential albums, I think are classic, had a lasting impact, should never be touched mm-hmm. under any circumstances. It would be probably... U2's Joshua Tree. That's a good one. Yep. Uh, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Right. Yeah. And you've got to go with like Led Zeppelin 4. Yeah. I mean, that's straight classic. Yeah. That is do not touch. Right. And so like, and to me, uh, I would probably say maybe some more modern ones like Appetite for Destruction. Nice. uh, Violator, Depeche Mm -hmm. Mode, Disintegration by The Cure, Rest in Peace by Megadeth and, and, and Back in Black. I mean, to me, that is just like. You've got some good taste. (laughs) That's like the number one classic record. So. Could you imagine if you and I 
took Back in Black. Oh, this is bad. This is bad already. And went through every single no, song. Make it stop. Make it stop. Added a crappy post chorus. <laughs> put in a bridge. And then recorded it and then sold it under our name. I feel hurt already, even though we haven't already done this. I feel like we need to ask forgiveness. (laughs) Could you imagine? And then not only that, tried to get other people to sing our rendition of it. That's the horrible part. We're not just talking about keeping it in your own basement or garage, but putting it on screens and encouraging other people to participate in it. Yeah. And then not only that. So imagine this too. It would say back in black in parentheses, my chains are gone. Comment, Alyssa. Oh, uh, so you know that—that's why it, it just—it really just bugs me. That is annoying. Like, as a musician, where's the like the artistic integrity on it? In it, you know, it's like if you're a songwriter, well, then write songs. You yeah, know, write your own sure. songs, stand on your own two feet. You know, you might think, you know, well, rappers do it. Well, yeah, they take you know somebody else's course, but like seriously, whose songs are they ruining? You know, like a Diana Ross song. You know, right. the Mo Money, More Problems, and then. Ghetto superstar, like what? Wait, Islands in the Stream, like really? You're you're gonna care about Islands in the Stream, yeah? Or uh, that guy who sank all his money into title, Jay Z, Jay Z, <laughs> the guy with no rhythm. You know? <laughs> so well, he, he he ruined what? Um, Annie's song, uh, Hard Not Like Equal Opportunity Offenders <laughs> on this particular episode. But there's a difference between like sampling something. Like you're not when you're just taking like a whole hymn. You're not just like sampling a part of that. You're right. you're taking it and trying to make it your own in some way. Yeah. And then you know even if you think sampling is bad, well you're just sampling modern songs and you're not. If you even think you're ruining it, it's right. you're ruining a Diana Ross song. No, nobody cares. Right. <laughs> you're not ruining Amazing Grace. It is well with my soul and be thou my vision. So Jesse, pretend somebody asks you to arrange a hymn for like a wedding. Okay. How would you approach that? So my goal with arranging a hymn is to make sure that all of the elegance of the theology and the melody always shine through. Its simplicity mm-hmm. is its glory. And that's important that it comes out like that. Yeah. So it's theology comes out through the lyrics right. and then the melody. So really, that's just the two elements. That's all you need. And so in 2013, um, my wife's grandmother died and she she knew she was going to die. So she kind of prepared the the funeral service you know, herself like in saying this is what she wanted. And so Be Thou My Vision was her favorite hymn. So she wanted it played at her funeral. I was tasked to arrange this so that her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren would sing it. And so essentially all I did was I took the words and the melody and I tried to stay true to it without trying to mess it up. And I'm really just trying to honor the song and honor um, my wife's grandmother. So here's a little clip kind of starting in... Like the third verse, um, there's four verses, and then I kind of go into what is kind of like a bridge, and then uh, into the fourth chorus. And but so I added a little thing, but I still stayed true to the melody in order to try to honor the melody and honor the honor the hymn.
That's absolutely beautiful. I mean, that's everything that you want out of him. Even just hearing it without seeing it, you can envision what it was composed for, mm-hmm. for, the, for the service that it was a part of, and you're automatically moved by it. And a lot of contemporary music does not move you like that. Yeah. So that's a beautiful arrangement. That's exactly, I think, as it should be. Yeah. And I really just trying to honor the theology of the song and the melody. Right. And so one of the things that I've discovered that I think is distracting is the theology that's inserted in the form of these new choruses or bridges is totally divorced from the original yeah. hymn itself. Yeah. So it's like you're trying to, like you said, it's not just like you're trying to outdo or overdo the masterpiece. You're trying to like cut it in half and insert your own section and try to make it seamlessly intertwined with all the other work of art and it nothing ever works that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, there's no way that's going to happen. No. So here's what's like sitting in church, this is what's going on in my head. And I'm totally wrong and I'm totally terrible for thinking this, but like in my mind when you have like a classic song like Amazing Grace and you match it up with new stuff to explain to people how, how wrong it sounds in my head. To me it's like Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Oh, baby, baby, (laughs) I love God so much. Jesus is so awesome. Like, it's that big of a difference between classic and then the modern updated versions. So, yeah, I'm totally wrong in thinking that, but that's kind of like how I feel like how to bring you people into into my my I, into my crazy mind. I get that. There's also a good chance you just totally ruined Amazing Grace <laughs> for me. At least the next ten times I hear it. Yeah. So well, that actually brings up to my application, which it basically just says, "Don't be as cynical as I am." So, like, if you mo- like modern editions, then great, because really it is about the words and praising and thanking God. Ultimately, you right. know, who cares who wrote it? Whatever, its words and its melodies. But if you are as sinful as I am and are as cynical and snobby as I am and kind of a jerk, then use that time. If you're bothered by this stuff, then just use that time to during the new courses to really appreciate why these hymns are even still around right from centuries old and uh, use that time to love God rather than hate Christians. <laughs> <laughs> This application is for me, not for anybody else. I'm speaking to myself here. So here's my 15-second Fast God Stuff summary. Worship songs are a wonderful way to connect with the theological truths in an emotional way. However, musical preference is just that. Preference. Hymns, modern songs, whatever. And church is not about the music, but God's word, the community, and serving that community. So don't let the musical style of the church dictate the theological truths you're getting, the community of believers you fellowship with, and most importantly, the community you serve. Yeah! Okay, Jesse, so what is one thing that Christians do that annoys you? One thing that Christians do that really annoys me, Conrad, is Uh when Christians observe Lent. Uh oh! <laughs> this drives me crazy. We're gonna step so, into a minefield here. <laughs> this drives me crazy. I'm not gonna lie to you. So get ready. Here we go. So traditionally understood, the season of Lent is that 40 day period, usually a fasting. That's preparation for Easter, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. And in the Middle Ages, the observance of Lent just got out of control. It, uh-huh. it started being associated with all this kind of works righteousness. So if I do these good things for God, I somehow earn His merit or His favor. Right. And then that got associated with all these like weird superstitious things, like people just doing crazy stuff. 
But what's strange is that even today, the observance of Lent is enjoying this kind of resurgence among a lot of people. And usually it involves like giving up a certain luxury or some type of food. Yeah, like giving up ice cream or right. Coke. Right. So the time of year before, besides Easter, it's like common often for Christians to even say like, so what are you doing for Lent? Yeah. What, what are you giving up for Lent? Like, oh, I'm giving up sushi or Chick-fil-A. Yeah, any, <laughs> well, I guess you wouldn't things. give up Chick-fil-A because that is a that is a Christian food. Yeah, that's like you can't give up. Listen, Conrad, you can't give up Christian food during Lent. Okay, yeah, you can only give up secular food. Okay, like sushi. That is that's totally secular. Th- yeah, that is an atheistic food. Yeah, that's okay. that's only what atheists eat all the time. So this is why I find it annoying, though. First, Lent does not produce some kind of spirituality. And here's what I mean it by this. Doesn't? No, it, it definitely does not. There's not like a command in the Bible that, no, that we can there, be obedient to. No, exactly. So let's say that you decide, well, listen, it's Lent and I'm going to give up chocolate. Or I'm going to give up Twitter. or I'm going to give up Facebook or too much TV. Like all those things are good. And truth be told, we should probably give up more of that because it would just better ourselves. Generally, we'd be more right. well adjusted. We'd be more social. We'd have more time to spend with our family. But what gets me is when we give those up in some way thinking that we are accomplishing a spiritual end. Yeah. We're earning God's favor somehow. Right. So by giving up Netflix. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so if I'm going to give up Netflix or chocolate, let's say, um, and I'm going to use Lent though, as my excuse, like, you know, I really should give up chocolate. I like to drop a couple pounds. You know, a good time for me to do that is Lent. I'm giving up chocolate. <laughs> Let for me Lent. just wait. <laughs> right. Let me wait five months until Lent comes around. Then I can give up this thing. Right. Exactly. So I know what's good for me is to give up chocolate. So let me just pair that and sneak that in as a spiritual commitment. And then when I get to heaven, Jesus is going to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant for not eating Hershey's for 40 days. <laughs> for, for waiting to Lent to give up eating Hershey's. Right. So in other words, <laughs> if you're going to give up something that's going to confer a benefit to you anyway, irrespective of your spiritual condition, then there really is no spiritual component to begin with. Right. So we shouldn't pretend like we're doing something great for God when we're at the same time saying, God, how great is it that you sent your son, that he lived among us, that he obeyed the law perfectly. He did everything I couldn't. He died on the cross for my my sin. Here's what I'm going to do. No Hershey's. <laughs> yeah. How about uh, maybe give up sinning for Lent? You know? <laughs> right, right. Or how about uh, giving up skipping your devotions for Lent or right. not complaining about everything? This annoys me because it can be a, a prime example of adventures and missing the point. Yeah. And that's what it can be a lot of times. The other thing is, like you've already said, the word of God nowhere commands that we practice Lent. In fact, this is a borrowed tradition from the Roman Catholic Church. Right. It's not in like Leviticus or no, one of there's, those things. you will never find the word Lent anywhere. You will never find a reference or a proclamation that you have to observe some kind of special period where you give up something before Easter. So it's a bit like what we're doing is kind of like playing dress up with other traditions that aren't even Orthodox Christianity. We're just kind of yeah. adding them on and saying, yeah, give me, let me go to the buffet and give me some of that. Give me like two helpings of Lent and I'll slap that on for this period of time and yeah. see how that tastes. Another thing with Lent is it's just because it's built into a date. To me, it's almost like a New Year's resolution. Right. It's like, this is stuff that you should be doing anyway. So why are you, what is your motivation for starting this? Oh, because a particular date rolled around. What is, what is the motivation that should cause you to do anything? It should be love for God. Exactly. Not because a calendar date rolled around. And exactly. if it's not love for God, then it's actually sin. So what's that one verse? Um, uh, Romans fourteen twenty three. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And faith really is 
loving God in a true way. Yeah, the bottom line is it's unlawful, actually, for the church to make laws where the word of God does not make them. So that means if Christians are required to observe some kind of extra biblical outside the Bible, even if it seems well-intentioned, some kind of practice, that's to impinge on Christian liberty. And it annoys me when Christian liberty is impinged (laughs) because that's the exact opposite of the gospel. So that's why I'm not down with Lent at all. Basically, it's legalism. It is. And so, but it's not just like, oh, dancing is wrong and watching movies is wrong. It's like intentionally going, okay, for this 40 days, something like this is almost wrong. Right. Like for a time period. Yes. And we need to remember that all of the Christian life is a life of constant mortification of sin, choking out your sin, killing your sin. It's not just this 40-day period where we should set aside and be like, no sin. That that should be an attitude that we're trying to bring into the everyday practice. And so this kind of teaches us that it's it's not that way. In fact, you know, Mardi Gras starts on Shrove Tuesday, which is like the day before Lent begins. So it's basically like get all your partying out, (laughs) like that. Like in Pennsylvania, that's the Fosnot Donut, right? Like that literally is like families got together and we're like, listen, we can't eat any high fatty foods for the next forty days. So here's what (laughs) we're gonna do. We're going to throw everything in the house that is fatty. (laughs) We're going to fry it in lard and we're going to gorge ourselves today because we can't do it tomorrow. And then on Easter, we're going to gorge ourselves again. (laughs) And that's the important point is that no one becomes an uber Christian when he or she fasts during Lent. But sometimes we get the sense that there is something miraculous or particularly special about somebody who commits themselves to a particular practice under the auspice of it being spiritual. Yeah. So here's where the application comes in for me. First, here's what I recommend that you do. For Lent, give up Lent. Ooh, Just that's give tricky. It, up. <laughs> it is sneaky. Don't do it. It's not particularly helpful. I mean, what I'm not saying is, though, that you shouldn't have personal liberty to take on a real sacrifice of a spiritual nature for the Lord mm-hmm. and for others. But there's really no need to do it in a way where we kind of showcase it or just do something that we should do anyway that would be helpful to us. You don't need to kind of snuggle that in to Lent. Yeah. You don't need to wait for a date to do something that's right. Exactly. In fact, you shouldn't wait. If there's something that you need to do, the Lord has pressed upon your heart to make a sacrifice for him. The good news is that can start right now. Exactly. The other thing is that the only prescribed obligatory holy day in the Bible is the Lord's day is Sunday. Mm -hmm. So this also helps to remind us that that's the day that God has set aside to be special. That is the day in which he's commanded his people to come together and to worship. Lent is in many ways our own invention. Mm-hmm. And so we need to make sure that we're putting the right focus in the right places. Right. Yeah. Sabbath is one of the institutions that God created before the fall. And it's also in one of the Ten Commandments. The other thing is that it's important to take a balanced approach to this. And I think that really Paul gives us like the best conscription of how we should understand the, what, what the church can impose upon us. And here's what he says in Colossians. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. I mean, that's so good. Paul just brings it there and says, listen, the important thing is not that you do a lot of external stuff, not that you manufacture all these rules or rights to somehow please God but you trust in Jesus Christ himself. So you just cannot let your conscience be bound to Lent. And that's what really annoys me. Sometimes Christians end up feeling guilty, like they should be doing something. They should be giving up something 
this time of year is for some type of major big yeah. sacrifice. Yeah, and I think sacrifice is the key word. So in Romans 12, 1, it says, um, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So when we're trying to sacrifice, it's not like giving up little things. It's our entire lives, our bodies, our sacrifice, which is our spiritual worship. And that's the real deal right there. Real deal. Because the other thing that's really fun when it's the Lenten time is just a straight up protest Lent. Mm. And here's one way you can do that. We, we are in good historical standing with this. So in 1522, Uh-oh. During, that's right. We're going way back during the Lenten season. There was this man Zwingli who had some issues. Zwingli. I like the, that name. Uh, another Zwingli. that's straight metal. All, all of these guys are straight metal. Um, he was a reformer. <laughs> I'm just going to throw you off now. (laughs) This is is even better. This is making this story so much better. So he was a reformer of the Roman Catholic Church. That is, he had some issues with the church. He did. What kind of issues? Late one night, theological issues. (laughs) So late one night, he's at the house of Christoph Froschauer. Froschauer. Who's a printer. And this guy was laboring. He was actually preparing a new edition of the Epistles of Paul. And all these guys who were working on this printing, they were hungry. Hungry. They were hungry for meat. For meat. And yet the Roman Catholic Church, as part of Lent, banned the consumption of meat because they felt that was an appropriate sacrifice to show how much Jesus meant to them. So what did Froshire and Zwingli do? What did they do? They gave everybody sausages. Dude, that is so metal. Is so metal. <laughs> That's amazing. So what he did was he served sausages and the church found out about this and absolutely flipped out. So much so that Zwingli had to preach from the pulpit a sermon about the sausage. <laughs> and it became, no yeah, it became known as the affair of the sausages. <laughs> the sausage sermon. And what happened is people just started eating sausages during Lent to say, listen, we believe in the freedom of Christ. So the best thing that you can do during Lent is eat as much meat, bacon, sausage, patties, or links, your choice, however the spirit leads you, to say, listen, in Christ, we have freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set me free. And that can be your real sacrifice of worship. Sausages are your spiritual act of worship. <laughs> that is... <laughs> We're going to make t-shirts of that. Uh, I bring the sacrifice of sausage into the house of the Lord. (laughs) Yeah. So here's the 15 second fast God stuff summary. (laughs) Do we need one of these? (laughs) We're so off. (laughs) The the summary really should be eat some sausage, but it's also whether we consider Lent something not worth observing, or if we use the season as an opportunity to devote ourselves to prayer and meditation on Christ, we must always do these things out of a right heart with spiritual motivation. Lent ought never to point us toward our own works, but always to point us to the beautiful, unmerited grace of God in Jesus Christ. Sausages! So Jesse and I are just as annoying, if not more annoying than other Christians. And we all do annoying things from being super judgmental like me or following traditions for tradition's sake. So let us not think too highly of ourselves and poke fun at the annoying things we do in order to change so that we can love God and others more. 
That's all the time that we have for today. Say it ain't so. Make sure you subscribe and rate the Fast Guy and Stuff podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you like to podcast. Also, check out fastgodstuff.com for all kinds of content that will make you eat sausages. It's so delicious. Until next time, love God, love others. That's, that's it. it. Two, three, four. Thanks for listening. That's you on metal. Just lost all our subscribers. <laughs> that was a good run.